Hi folks, my name is Eric Barnett, and I'm a singer-songwriter in Charleston, South Carolina, and you're listening to Songs of the Unsung. Songs of the Unsung is a podcast where I talk to fellow singer-songwriters, and it's also a monthly original music showcase at Freehouse Brewery. Freehouse is an organic brewery, tap room, and outdoor beer garden situated on the banks of the historic and natural Ashley River. We brew beer as we wish it to be, organic, local, and seasonal. With over 24 taps, including gluten-free options and house-made organic lemonade, we have something for all palates. Freehouse is open to everyone and welcomes all guests with a smile and a cold beer. Inquire about hosting your event or special occasion with us at info at freehousebeer.com. This week's guest is Ben Somewhere. Ben is a singer-songwriter and guitarist who balances his time as a solo performer and also fronting the bands The Side Hustle and Blue Ricky. Catch Ben alongside fellow songwriters Noah Grove and Mike Friend at Freehouse Brewery on Sunday, December 12th from 2 to 5 p.m. for Songs of the Unsung's first original music showcase. Hey, Ben, how's it going? I'm good. How are you doing? Very good, man. Thanks for coming out. Oh, appreciate you having me. So I remember first meeting you at, uh, was it Thai Taco and Sushi? <laughs> you were running an open mic? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I just... Uh, I think uh, I was hanging out with Holland Bell Hills and her family, and we were just hitting up open mics. And I yeah. said, "Yeah, I think this one is over there." And yep. you were running it. I met you. I knew you were a real nice guy. Uh, a couple months later, you asked me to—not even months, maybe a couple years later—you mm-hmm. asked me to play at uh, Lux Espresso and Wine Bar. Yeah, you were yeah. doing a thing with Dan Riley out there. Yep. Yeah. 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 It was that long of a gap. There. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but you've actually you know really helped me out through the years by. Yeah. You know, saying, Hey, are you open this date? And yeah. Yeah. So it well, was, that's, that's important to me, you know, and I'm always happy to, I, I try to be helpful. That's, that's really good. important to me. That. Yeah. Appreciate that. And I, uh, finally got to see you play a proper gig, at least an hour of it the other day at free house. Yeah. Yesterday at free house. Yeah. I appreciate you coming yeah. out since uh, <laughs> it was, wasn't quite packed to the gills as Sunday afternoon. <sighs> and know, after and a holiday, it's never things start cooling down. People start Mm-hmm. you know hibernating i guess yeah, it, yeah. it's well sometimes it depends it depends on the space and yeah the location you know and it, it's strange the holiday season is always sure. strange for for venues and turnout so. yeah so from new orleans area like how, area. how close to new orleans like exactly where are you from so exactly where i'm from is a town called homa louisiana um homa is about 45 minute drive okay. so it's it's but it's southwest of new orleans south west and got it yes got so, it. so still right on the the bayou and the whole thing oh yeah yeah terrebonne parish is the area so um homa is uh just right along the terrebonne uh, river or bayou the terrebonne bayou and um I, that's mainly where i grew up but my i bounced a lot around a lot because my parents were there mm-hmm. for a little bit then we moved to southeast texas so beaumont um mm. and then we came back whenever i was uh I think I must have been about 11 or so. So okay. after that, I, I was there all the way up through high school. Sure. And I mean, if, you know, if that wasn't enough moving around, you then decided to join the Navy. So oh, that yeah. meant you were, <laughs> yep. you were all over the place, man. Where all were you stationed when you were in the Navy? 
Uh, well, let's see here. Um, mm -hmm. This was my final duty station and one of my duty stations for, um, as I was a nuclear Navy um, person. So uh, I went through training, A school, power school yeah. here. I did prototype in Saratoga Springs, New York, okay. um, upstate. Um, and then uh, went to welding school, uh, Connecticut, Groton. Okay. So right, called Rotten Groton for <laughs> lots of reasons. It's in a great area, though. I, I really enjoyed um, the being in New England in the Northeast. Um, and then uh, after that, Kings Bay, Georgia, um, okay. which is uh, kind of a shithole. Um, <laughs> and uh, after that, and then uh, while I was doing that tour, that that tour was part of being on the USS Louisiana, which is a submarine. And uh, I think I was two patrols in. So okay. each patrol is whenever you go underway. Right. Um, and so we had done two. And then the boat was scheduled to do a change of home port. And uh, that one was to Bangor, Washington, which is right across the Puget Sound from Seattle. Oh, right on. Yeah. So um, I spent, uh, yeah, my, I guess that would be, I did seven patrols out there. Um, right on. Yeah. And so I was there for a few years. So you could say you've been somewhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've is been that, all over the country. Is that where the, is that the name? Uh, it, it was always, actually, it, it, it's, um, it came to be because it was a, yeah, it was on a punk rock, uh, chat room, uh, Fruits from Weasel. I was obsessed with this band, uh, um, growing up there, Midwestern, um, out of Chicago, um, punk band. And, uh, in fact, my first tattoo was them at 16, uh, but awesome. it, they had a chat room and, uh, -huh. uh, so late nights, you know, it was before there was other, you, you really didn't have message boards right. or you didn't have messenger. So right. you would go to the chat room and I could talk to people all over the country. What are we were, talking like mid to late nineties? Yeah. Late nineties. Yeah. And so, you yeah. know, I had a yeah dial up modem and I would get on the chat room late at night and harass people and, <laughs> you know, troll and just all the, the very early forms of that. And, uh. Yeah, uh, but my handle was been somewhere because it awesome. was like a, it was like leaving and uh, Joe King and a few other uh, I got punk yeah. legends that had the you know the what is it the, a pun for a name kind of thing. Sure, I yeah. mean it works because you also have a last name that is I've actually never heard it pronounced. Would you pronounce your last name? Yeah, Robleski. Robleski. It's, it's Polish. And yeah, I would have. I would have absolutely messed that one up. And so. growing up in South Louisiana with that last name kind of sucked. <laughs> oh, yeah. People had fun with that at your expense, for sure. Yes. For sure. So I've, I, I've scoured the var various bios of you I've been able to find, and it says mm -hmm. that your father had a very good record collection. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what definitely. In the, what in particular in your dad's record collection do you remember, like, set you off? Oh, well. You know, it's funny. It's uh, two bands that popped to mind that I really en remember enjoying was um, first one was Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Um, and I remember the first time I heard and I, I said record collection. That might have been one of the first CDs he had. OK. Um, but I definitely had learned how to use the record player. Um, but the CDs were real easy. And sure. But yeah, I remember listening to Jimmy right off the bat and just uh, not knowing like it was something that was very unearthly. Like it yeah. was almost mad. Ma it was like magic to me because it was, it just made you feel a certain way and nothing else that I'd experienced to that point could, um, especially right. songs like purple haze. And, oh. uh, just hearing that as a, as a like four or five year old kid, it was kind of mind. you know, it was just oh, no, mind blowing stuff. Um, so I really connected with him and, uh, the monkeys. So <laughs> that's another one that I really remember like just jamming out to. And okay. So like, yeah. So a lot of that. And then, um, you know, and then the doors and Pink okay. Floyd and a few, other, you know, from there, it's just your, yeah. your, your, all your, what do they call it? Dad rock now? Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. Dad, dad rock gets a bad name, but it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
like the, uh, my first introduction into music was the Beatles. Yeah. But then like what really got me to want to play guitar was I saw Jimi Hendrix on like a VH1 thing. Oh, really? And I was just like, oh man, I got to do that now. Oh, really? It was and, the same thing. Huh? Oh, like, yeah. Jimi yeah. Hendrix. It yeah. was like, no, I have to play guitar. And then I I envy you so much as a Southpaw. Oh, oh uh, well, you that, know, that, that doesn't... No, no, because listen, like, Jimi Hendrix and Paul McCartney. Yeah. I tried so hard. I got, you know, my mom bought me a bass first, and I strung it left-handed. Really? I didn't know <laughs> anything. Oh, admit, uh, dude, I tried. I tried so hard. Well, how old were you when you started, though? Oh, playing? I was probably 13, 14. Oh, so you were really young. Yeah, I, it just, yeah, it didn't pan out, though, man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but you were, are you naturally left-handed, everything else? No. No. Nope. Oh, okay. So no. Nope. <laughs> you nope. just assumed that was just that like, you could no. just choose. Oh, sure. Yeah. I was like, no, I can do this, guys. Like, yeah. I'll figure it out. I'll figure because Jimi Hendrix and Paul McCartney, yeah. like, are there two cooler guys at their instrument? No, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. And they're also, too, yeah. I mean, they're iconic lefties. And then you got, and then if you jump a generation, Kirk you got Kirk. Yeah. yeah. And then, and so it's, it's pretty crazy whenever you consider that. Um, two of the most iconic guitar players of the 20th century were yeah. lefties, I yeah. guess, you know, but I'm not anywhere close to being that level <laughs> of either of those guys. No, but the, the cosmic thing you're talking about, like, yeah. I remember, uh, I, it was a documentary on Jimi Hendrix. And then at that time they were doing a lot of those re-releases mm -hmm. like first rays of the new rising sun. They finally put that out. And I heard like that song, uh, is it new rising sun mm -hmm. like that? I heard that and I was like, man, I got to learn how to play that. Like the first yeah. riff I learned was a really poor version of Purple Haze. Yeah. And it was like, that was. I've well, never learned any of his stuff. Really? Yeah. I really? guess I'm, in, you know, it's funny. I think I'm intimidated by it. Yeah. Um, sure. Because it's something that if you're not nailing it, you have no business playing. It, yeah. You know? And I, f I felt like that that was also too. He's, <clears throat> I mean, he was playing it upside down, right? It's strung. It wasn't strung left-handed. So. No, he strung him left-handed. <clears throat> oh, they, he did. Okay. They said he, he could pick up a righty guitar and oh, flip and it. Just, yeah. And I'm course. sure he could, but yeah. you know. So, I think that I think you know though, like a, a lot of things that get overlooked with Jimmy is how much work went into becoming that individual, that cosmic yeah. person. Yeah. Because I mean, y y every, if you really dig around and you find that you know he's in the backing band to oh, Little yeah. Richard, and he Isley was just Brothers, sitting there, yeah. yeah, and he was, you know, he he did his time. And yeah, he absolutely paid his dues. And yeah. It wasn't till you know Chaz Chandler took him over to mm -hmm. England and put a band together and they combined it with the psychedelic thing. And yeah. at the time, like if you were a guitarist, you had to be in England. I mean, it yeah. was, it was Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page. Yeah. I, I wonder, and I've, and I've asked this before. I wonder if you look at sixties guitarists and the population of England versus the population of the rest of the world. Yeah. And they all came from England. I mean, yeah, and and you know, uh, I think one of the things um, that, from what I, the research I've done, and just you know, just the things that I've checked out and been turned on to about that particular scene that I've noticed is that uh, England was very, very much into supporting the arts and had yeah. schools dedicated to it, and so yeah. um, of course they were just churning out these talents. And, and it wasn't just the fact that they had more. I don't think they had necessarily more talent there, but they were supporting the arts in a way that wasn't being supported in, in, in any other place. So it was um, one of those things in music where it's such a right place, right time yeah. sort of thing, because yeah. like at that time, all the British guys were really getting into American blues. Yep. And yep. you know, that's where, and, and you had to be there. It was one, it was a thing where 
You know, like you and I can drive around Charleston and see local musicians, but yeah. their local musicians were like, oh, you know, Pete Townsend would go see Eric Clapton and yeah. then they'd go see. And it might have been walking down the street. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and it was I mean, it was just a scene, you know, and yeah. um, but I, I think about um, both the Rolling Stones and the Clash. So, I mean, mm. even a, a whole generation apart, basically, um, got their start in art school. Right. Mm. Like, I mm-hmm. mean, so both of them. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And uh, so it, it really just goes to show how much. Um, a culture that has support of the arts, um, what it can produce. Oh, sure. If it's backing it, but and if it if it values art, people doing art. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, started out playing saxophone in elementary school. Yeah, yeah. How, how long did that stick around for? It stuck around. <laughs> So you I still own a saxophone. I don't. Okay. I don't. And it's unfortunate because I, I still love the instrument and the, the sound that it produces. But yeah. um, it stuck around. Uh, I guess we started pretty early. Uh, school yeah. band started in like fifth or sixth grade, maybe sure. even fourth grade. <clears throat> I, I even remember my for, uh, the name of my the first teacher that made an impression on me in music. Her name was Miss Knockan. And uh and, and Mr. LeBlanc had come before her and uh-huh. forced me to play a trumpet. He just, he, I'm serious. So he, he like, so you, you got in a band and then he lined all the kids up that were yeah. interested in playing in band. And he looked at your, your, your physical features. Your they call it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then he's like, you're going to play this. And he put me on trumpet and I fucking hated trumpet. So and I, I really did not have an aptitude for it. it right. I struggled with it. I was uh, always um, third chair or whatever. Yeah. And uh, then Miss Nakan uh, took over that program. Same same school. Uh, and she she like uh, she was really cool about just. I was like, hey, I I really want to play saxophone. And she's like, well, play saxophone. That's and awesome. Then I was first chair, like without ever practicing much and sight read. And, you know, I could just do it. So it, you it, took to it, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it only lasted uh up until junior high. Um okay. I got uh I actually got so we had a uh, teacher, I won't name her name, uh, but um she wasn't very good at controlling the classroom and it was a very it was a you know low come in low income area of Louisiana mm-hmm. and there was a lot of kids just you know that didn't even want to be in any class um just causing a ruckus and I, I actually was one of them that and there was a girl I had a crush on and uh I just continuously would talk to her like and she yeah. she was also play sax and I just, so I talked to her talked to her and one day uh, we were at, at after school practice um we were getting ready to do our like first I think it was marching thing or something mm-hmm. and uh. I kept talking to her, talking to her, talking to her, interrupting. <laughs> um, and uh, she's like, do you even want, she interrupts me. And yeah, of course. I was so taken back. And she's like, do you even want to be in this, uh, <laughs> in this uh, particular marching event? And I was like, no, I hate this class. And she was like, well, then you can leave. You know, like it's a typical kind of line in the sand thing that teachers sure. throw there there, and like don't think that they're going to get a reaction. But I literally took my saxophone and I packed it up and I walked out of the classroom. Well, and she she to be fair, yeah. she asked an angsty teen. She did. And I was. Yeah. And, and you're like, you're not going to confront me. That was also in eighth grade. And I think my parents had split like right around that time okay, frame. Yeah. So I was. Yeah. Talk about you want to talk about angsty. Like my parents split when I was like 13. Wow. So okay. I was uh, just all kinds of pissed off through eighth and ninth grade. And I feel sorry for anyone that 
uh, had any contact with me at that point in my <laughs> life, honestly. Is that where punk rock started coming into hell, the punk hell, and hardcore? Hell yeah. Because, um, I mean, it, it was originally metal, you know, was like the thing that was accessible. Sure. And yeah. then once, like, punk had kind of come into the airwaves and, you know, like, first it was Green Day and then and then Rancid. And it was like, once Rancid, <laughs> I, I once I heard that, I was like, yes, this is my, this is my shit. This right is on. my music. Yeah. And uh, and I could relate to it. And, I, and um, yeah. And from there, it was just a you know, spiral into everything else that just get deeper and deeper and deeper. And at some point you're like, fuck the mainstream and I'm going <laughs> to burn all your metal t-shirts and get rid of all that shit. And now every... you had, you had good access to all that. Um, surprisingly so, uh, because, uh, there were other people that, okay. um, that really cared about music, uh, punk in, in general. And, and they were, uh, all around, there were, there were other friends. And I had a guy that his name was Glenn Cunningham and, uh, he was a drummer. Um, and he, he, he was, we, we became close friends and he really like turned me on. I remember one day he gave me this, uh, it was called beach plus. It was a mail order uh -huh. thing. Um, they were out of Florida and, uh, he was like, he handed me their catalog and it was just names of bands <laughs> and he had like a rating system that he had done and it was like <laughs> three, four stars, you yeah. know, and it was like, okay, you need to get this. So, you know, it was based off his opinion and stuff, but I was like, okay, cool. I'm gonna, and so I would just order off a of Beach Plus or just what yeah. the other kids were. We had a really actually a scene, and it and it ended up snowballing into uh, you know wanting to do it, wanting to be in a band, nice. you know, wanting to sing, uh, want to sing for these bands. Started singing before it became bass guitar. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I originally started singing. Uh, I, I made friends with that guy. Glenn actually ended up joining a band called the Soup. Well, they were a band called the Fillins. Uh, I think originally or <laughs> yeah. some other uh, Circle K. They had a bunch of different names, but eventually sure. they they were like, hey, um, you know, one day they were playing at a. Um, <laughs> wow, this is like really crazy for me because I haven't <laughs> thought about how this all interconnected. But one day they were out playing at a go kart track. <laughs> Circle K was playing at the go kart track or, uh -huh. or the Fillins, whatever they were called at the sure. time, and uh, they're singer didn't show up and uh they're like why don't you get up there and sing like people for some reason like i guess skinny brat that's pissed off like sings like he would he would yeah, want to get yeah, up and it's sing gonna work yeah and uh the first song that i ever sang was uh operation ivy's knowledge and i remember doing i, I just i remember that that was the moment where the band got started and we ended up calling ourselves the superheroes you know because awesome. yeah. yeah and so from there it was vocals on to uh you know, that that band kind of lasted, didn't really pan out. We ended up doing another thing. Well, we, we did a little bit of local shows, and then yeah. we ended up doing another incarnation, uh, you know, people rotating in and out, sure. uh, a hardcore thing called Descent. D-I-S-S-E-N-T. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. protest. Not, no, for sure. Not Descent into the downward spiral. Um, <laughs> and uh, that didn't last. I, that lasted a couple of years, maybe, if that. Um, that didn't last very long, because at one point... Uh, the drummer, the bassist, both decided, hey, we want to be a Christian punk band. I'm like, well, oh, okay. I'm not Christian, so that's <laughs> not really going to work out. And I was uh, very much an atheist at the time um, and very not into organized religion. Um, and so uh, from there, uh, I think uh, <laughs> that's where we go into uh, picking up the bass. You know, like uh, okay. there was a hiatus there and I was like, oh, I'm going to pluck along on this bass guitar and kind of like playing along to like um the ramones screeching weasel these yeah. real these really yeah. um really specific to the ramones style genre um and that's how i kind of learned how to play bass now were you writing lyrics for these bands you were singing for were you doing yes. covers what what um, was the split there? it was all original all original yeah it was all original and we had a little scene you know we we actually played uh there was a place called uh it was originally called scooby's pizza and uh -huh. then it got converted to a thing called the main street music hall and it had three band rooms in the back 
Uh, and okay. we would pay like a, a 75 bucks, a mo- 100 bucks a month for this room. It was it had no windows. It's probably totally a violation of fire code. It was like a <laughs> it was like a large closet and it sloped down toward the Terrebonne uh, Bayou. Like it was okay. actually sloped down because it yeah. was on the embankment to the bayou. Sure. And uh, well, if it, it floods, a, it has to drain. Yeah, my great and my <laughs> grandmother gave us an yeah, and you know, our grandmother gave us an AC unit, and uh, we. We practiced there. Uh, there, there was actually a decent amount of bands that came through and played. So we you did were all right the there. DIY shows and all, yeah, the, man, all the stuff. Um, yeah, DIY and all kinds of stuff. So yeah. um, I remember some of the bigger names. Uh, there was a band called Frenzel Rom, and then there was Crowbar. Um, and, and so we had the band room behind and mm-hmm. so, you know, like everybody wanted to hang out somewhere before the show and, you know, do their thing, whatever sure. it may be. Yeah. Um, and so there was a few bands that were like, I look back on it and like the punk scene was really crazy in the nineties because these guys were like in their twenties and they were hanging out with like 15 year olds and getting high, you know, yeah, like it was yeah. really fucked up, honestly. Like, so it was, what age are you about this time? You're- um, around the time of the music hall, I was around, uh, 16, 16? you know, so, yep. so, yep. and I had an extra fuel for the pissed offness because the girl that I dated for a few couple years, you know, like we had broken up. So I was like, I'm gonna get my nipples pierced and I'm going to fucking get a tattoo and my dad, I'm like, just, and that was an escape. Like I would just get dropped off for the weekend and I just, you know, hang out at the band room every weekend. So saxophone's gone at this point. Saxophone is long gone. Saxophone got traded in for a PA. Okay. Yeah. I got to tell you, there was, I had a very similar story and this is going to go along the left-handed lines too. I went into the first day of band where they looked at everybody's embouchure and mm-hmm. they said, you're not meant to play. I wanted to play saxophone so bad. Oh, really? <laughs> and uh, I ended up playing trumpet. Which... Oh, no shit. Exactly the same thing. <laughs> no, but no, I actually went to college for trumpet. Oh, but you did You did yeah. take to it. <sighs> I mean, as well as, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, yeah, it was okay. It was but saxophone's fine. so cool. It's way cooler. Yeah. Like when you cooler. think of it, like it just, it's just, you, 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 there's like so many songs that to me, the sax is like the thing. Like uh, when it comes into, um, you know, uh, walk on the wild side, yeah. right? Like it's like the very end and it's like this moody thing. Well, you know, like it, at the same time though, saxophone is also, there's more bad versions of saxophone too. Yeah. Cause there's like your Kenny G and there's like your, yeah. was it bleaker street? Is that the song? What's the song know. with the, dun, 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 dun. I yeah. don't know. Some people really hate it. It's one of those instruments that's really, defines it can draw people draw a line yeah and you know i I recently was reading this book about genres yeah and i think and this is this is this is huge conjecture and uh i'm just gonna throw it out there Uh but i honestly think it comes from uh being like you can almost measure someone's whiteness like and 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 they're and and they're seriously like all right okay because think about it right the most R&B and country artists uh, back in, you know, early 50s, 60s. Uh-huh. What's the one thing that made the band different? Oh, a horn section? Yeah, a horn section and yeah. the saxophone in particular. Right. You can have a sax and it's your whole horn section. So, right, right. So I think that, I think that even rock, <laughs> right? Rock got rid of the saxophone at one point, yeah, right? Yeah, And as it became more of like a white genre. So I, I'm not going to get too heavy into it. But. <laughs> I think too, like these days, yeah. these days, <laughs> I think... You can have an ironic saxophone as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And an ironic saxophone just does exactly the same thing that a bad saxophone used to do in the mm-hmm. 80s and 90s. But it, it can but carry like a whole band, too. It can, if, if done well. Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, I don't know if you remember Sweep the Leg Johnny at all. No. It was like a punk band with a saxophone. Yeah. Yeah. It was... Well, uh, the English beat's a good, like, two-tone okay. ska band. Yeah. That really, like, it was all just one baritone sax. That's all they needed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, baritone saxes, too, man. Yeah. Those blast. Yeah, what are trumpet players doing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Miles Davis is getting the girls. Don't get me wrong. But that's but... A, And that's the thing, right? Like, we go, go back to, so you said you play trumpet. Like, yeah, we all know my, like, that's the person that I think of, like, who made it cool. And yeah. he even wrote about it, right? Yeah. Like, can, can you think about another one, though? Not really. Wynton Marsalis is not cool. Honestly, I can't. No. I, I can't. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. And also, I'm going to, it went off while I'm talking about not cool. I'm going <laughs> to betray my lack of knowledge of punk. Yeah. Because here's here's what happened. I stuck with classic rock. Yeah. Uh, and it was all a matter of access to. Yeah. I grew up in middle Ohio, yep. country, cornfields. Yep. I heard what was on the radio and I had like a couple cool friends. Yeah. And you gotta have cool friends. Yeah, you do. You but do. like I went to a school where the graduating class was sixty eight people. Oh yeah. And it oh, was wow. like yeah. So you're yeah. really kind of isolated. I mean out there. I mean, I just thought when I'd heard about pavement that I was the coolest yeah. guy in the world. But <laughs> you know <laughs> Well, you know, you know, it is a matter of access, um and and, and it's a matter of like a scene. It hit you at the right time, it sounded yeah. like, too. You were, it, it really did. It was another, that's where you were, that was the time, that yeah. was the yeah. the angst of it. That the, was, the proximity to New Orleans was kind of like a thing. It always well, New was. New Orleans is But such it's not a, known for punk. No, no, not at all. I mean, not at all. nowadays they have a few bands that are coming out of there that did it, but it's really not a, a New Orleans thing. Yeah, my knowledge of punk really doesn't extend beyond, like, of course, I, the Ramones and the Sex yeah. Pistols and Green Day dookie and before yeah and uh the that's, tony hawk pro skater 2 soundtrack <laughs> that's you know that's a big entry point that is a great i mean for a lot of people that was like that was where they heard it first i know? mean yeah that's where i heard about like that's where i heard rancid yeah that's you know that's where yeah, I, yeah. and uh i don't know there was a time in college where i would you know i'd yeah. listen to fugazi and yeah. Like, yeah like a little bit of like the tip of the hardcore iceberg yeah you know as it were but yeah that's so my well, my knowledge of punk really doesn't or the or like the rockabilly that touches the punkier side yeah. I guess like yeah, I don't that, know. Yeah. That stuff can be you know I kind of got uh, dabbled into that for a little bit yeah. but you know I have always just I mean once once you got into punk it kind of like I, I mean it consumed everything. Yeah. And, and and you know I I but it's funny though you you mentioned like you stuck with the classic rock and once my daughter was born mm-hmm. I, I progressively became more and more absorbed back going back you know, I I I, yeah. I, I kind of sh- I, I kind of moved away from that scene just because it, it wasn't something that I, there are parents that blast like <laughs> punk metal like sure. just extreme stuff with their kids in the backseat, but for some reason it just didn't it didn't feel right to me. You know, it either works really, or it doesn't. I mean, if yeah. it's like, and there are some kids that take to it, yeah. and there are just some that aren't. I mean, yeah. sometimes you just got to play Baby Shark for a, for well, a kid. You do. You do. <laughs> I, she always liked really cool shit, it was, but it was, you know, I, I feel like uh, punk is what, eventually, like, it was like, ah, you know, it's more punk to like, go listen to this that's not really, you know, punk. Like, you got tired of that, you know, that yeah. sound. Yeah. Um, because it is, it, it can be repetitive, or it can be, um, the energy of it can be a bit much at times it's not meant for every single listening experience you know right the one thing i think about when i think about punk is it's kind of considered a like a, a quote scene or yeah maybe like an underground situation it is and, it is uh, 
like a lot of my experience on like w- something that delved beyond basic rock and alternative was yeah. when I went to college. And of course, yeah, of course, you know, that's where well, you meet more people. You probably then, got the radio too, you know, yeah, college radio where people yeah. were turning on and stuff. Where'd it you was, go to college? Uh, Bowling Green, okay. Ohio. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it's I've more, passed through there a few times. It's more, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, it's, it's more a thing where just like you're walking through a dorm room and you're meeting just people from other places and you're hearing music you haven't heard before. Yeah. Like, and then that's where I heard like, Fugazi for the yeah, first and that that's is where I part heard of Black the, Flag, and that's where yeah, yeah, and it's I, you know, I, I guess for me it's like um, yeah, it just became an all-consuming thing, yeah. and I, I think it does have a lot to do with the timing, not just of uh, what was going on around me with my friends, but also yeah. like what was going on in my own life, because yeah. I mean, it was the only music where like the descendants right has song like my dad sucks and then like i <laughs> fucking hated my dad like yeah. I, I, I mean i love him you know like but at that age like sure. no you know he yeah. was like the 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 big authority figure in right. my life you know so we were always button heads so it was like there it was the only music i could relate to it was the only music that was saying something that spoke to me at the time For sure. and the thing but the thing is is later in life other stuff began to you know i began to connect again with like yeah, Jimmy, and you know, like I finally could actually feel like I heard what he was saying. You know, well, or, I'm I'm a believer in like there's something to find in every bit of music, sure. and even something that you grow out of one day, and you go back and you listen to it, you might find a new thing out of it. Oh, and, sure, it's all about perspective at sure, the time. Um, sure, and that, I think that's art in general, and uh, you know, and, and I, I guess like there. Okay, I'll have to say this though, um, and this is coming from the punk background that i do think that there's a lot of music out there that doesn't really have much value right like there's there's a lot of music out (laughs) there that's really just a beat and 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 it's just um you know and and it's really just there to kind of fill a space and an environment oh yeah and that's fine like i'm not and i would never down on that and in fact like I'm, i'm sure there's a lot of pop music that 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 fills that 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 particular what's the right word uh it's a need right it's a need yeah. I, I think there's a lot of music made for people that don't like music. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good way of putting it's it. It's very consumable. Mm-hmm. And actually, as a person that's really that really likes music production, yeah. I can like it's nice to be able to look at it from a technical perspective. Yeah. And say, like, okay, this is what you're doing. Yeah. This is the result it has. It's it's very science. It's like it's like McDonald's French fries. Sure. They taste delicious. Yep. They're horrible. Yeah. <laughs> they're sci- they're just, not they're scientifically just, made to make you want more of them and they're not food. Yeah. But from like a production standpoint, there's something to be learned from it. Yeah. And and like I said, I think it's music made for people that don't like music. Yeah. Which is I love like music is top 5 things I love in this world. Yeah. And I hate most music. Uh-huh. It's just because why would I spend my time on that? Yeah. When there there's stuff over well, here i haven't discovered i could be looking for instead that's true that almost that feeling of of uh, that that can almost be overwhelming to me like yeah. you know the amount of stuff that i haven't discovered um and then also too i i totally agree with you know spending on some t- spend your time on things that have value to you sure you know and and sure. um and because that is important that is really yeah. important to me um and i think that's why uh I, i've always um gone back to punk um or at some point, like cyclically, yeah. you know, yeah. um, because it always had so much value to me. Now, uh, acoustic guitar. Yeah. Did that really come into play when you were in the Navy? Yeah, actually, um, it did. Because uh, my ex-wife, uh, she bought my first one for, it was a Christmas gift. Okay. Um, 
And I, I can't tell you the exact year, um, but I, I think my daughter must have been about one or two years old. Okay. So it, it would have to have been like 2007. All right. So there was a long gap where I just kind of plucked on a bass. I always kind of had one around. Sure. Um, but you can't really play a bass guitar by yourself unless you're like a total <laughs> unless you're freak. Incredible at it. Yeah, yeah. like Jacko or right. like there's a few people that I know that they'll play on their own. And I guess nowadays too, you you can have access to audio equipment where you could play along, you know, sure. and, and that that, yeah. that opens up a, a new dimension. Or it could be like Mike Watt or someone someone yeah, who's just yeah. a you know, like can take it and do something really but for me, like I never really you can't really write a song. You can't write a song. It's going to be three chords. It's going to yeah. be like a Ramones, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's going to be, yeah. It's going to dictate the style. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so the acoustic was a Christmas gift. It was a um, Washburn um, that she grabbed for me. And, you know, she knew I love music. Yeah. Um, but, of course, there wasn't a lot of time in my life around then. But uh, I got the acoustic, and then I got a For Dummies book. And then also, too, there were a few other guys um, – that played on the boat. Uh And so, um, I, I really think that it was being around other people that were performed that, that knew how to play and they would bring their guitars. There was, we were on a SSBM, which is a larger submarine that has the nuclear missiles. We could actually bring a few things. Yeah. Yeah. And so we would hide them in the (laughs) missile compartment. Sure. Um, and then, you know, so after watch we'd get together and I learned some rudimentary stuff, you know, your open chords and, uh, a couple of hammer on things. Didn't yeah. even know what a hammer on was, <laughs> but you know, one of the dudes was from Kentucky and, uh, Brandon white. And he was like, uh, he could play bluegrass and he was oh, like, wow. okay. Yeah. So he, he, there was a song that I had written, um, that he, he I had all the basic chords, but I was kind of like doing a little bit of yeah. runs. And he was like, here, do this. And then he added this hammer on that. And it took me like years <laughs> to get that right. Um, oh, yeah. But it's still part of that song. He actually added that little that little note. And it adds so much to it. Um, but him and my chief Deering at the time. And then there was yeah. actually, once again, a punk connection. But there was a place called the Monat Saloon, which is in Bremerton, Washington. Okay. And there was an open mic there. And uh, everybody would go and they would play it. And I never went. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a guy from MXPX, one of the guys, um, lived there, and he would go and play, and everybody would, you know, get to, got to know him and say yeah. hi, and they thought it was the coolest thing. But I never went. I was a, uh, I think I was just uh, really anti. Just I, I knew that I couldn't. I, I was very critical of my own ability at that time. Okay. I knew that I didn't really. I didn't feel like I had it. When did you start playing solo acoustic guitar in front of people? Okay, so. Uh, that would have happened around 2010, 2011. Okay. Um, and, uh, big props to Martin Butcher. Um, he's the guy that runs the ice house open ice house open mic over in Somerville and okay. he's been doing it, uh, every Sunday evening. Um, you know, so whenever they've been, sh- they got shut down for a small bit of time because of what happened last year. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, every Sunday evening for years and years and years and years. Um, and now did you find, uh, it in, I played in bands in high school, played in bands in college, really yeah. didn't play gigs in high school. It mm-hmm. wasn't a, it just wasn't a thing in the country. Yeah. Like we'd play in somebody's barn for their graduation or their sure. birthday or whatever. But at college is where I start, first started playing in bands. Yeah. What's the difference between having a band behind you and oh. being up there by yourself with an acoustic guitar? Well, there's a bunch of people that <laughs> can get up there and do it with a band behind them. Yeah. And uh, would never get up there with yeah. just themselves because the first time I went in to do it, um, I had the Washburn uh-huh. and, uh, I didn't, I don't think I even had it modified to be an acoustic electric at the time yet. Okay. 
and uh, it was still smoke a smoking bar. And <laughs> I mean, the, upstairs of the ice house is if you don't, I didn't know anyone in the room, so I, it was fucking creepy, honestly. Oh, yeah. Like, and and Butch was kind of like, he, you know, just doing his thing where if there's no one there, he's just playing. Uh-huh. So like, I'd only heard about it, I think, on the internet. So like. I didn't, I, I didn't know, Hey, I, I, I can approach this guy and I didn't have the courage to do it either. So I didn't play. Okay. The first time I went there. Yeah. Um, I don't even think I talked to Butch. I was terrified. Um, and, uh, so it, it took me uh, going again and, uh, I, um, eventually like worked up the courage, got up there and just played guitar. I, I just had some guitar okay. songs. Yeah. I couldn't even sing and play at that yeah. point. Um, uh-huh. And, uh, it, it just kind of like, once I got up there and did it, it was fucking sheer terror. Like <laughs> I was terrified. I was tr- like trembling and my nerves were so bad. And, uh, I, I've never been diagnosed with anything, but I mean, panic attack or whatever the fuck oh. that, however people describe that. Yeah. That's how I felt up there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it was just a, a horrible experience, but it's something about it, uh, it, it, it kept I kept going and eventually I'm sitting down and I'm recording in front of my computer and I'm, I'm playing Proud Mary and I real and I just start singing it you know and yeah. I was like oh oh okay I, I can do this and then yeah at that point it's like you learn the you start learning the catalog you know right on right you know, on you, you know just cover songs I guess at that point yeah it's it, to me it's Charleston's a little bit different yeah. from where I'm from um like I said, where I'm from, there's not a lot, lot of opportunity to play. Mm-hmm. But Ohio, in general, yeah, it's more of like you can play originals. Mm-hmm. Like uh, typically, I play a lot in Cincinnati, and Cincinnati, if you play originals, you're going to get put on like a bill with two other guys, and mm-hmm. maybe there's a band that headlines or whatever, and sure, and you sit up there and you can play, you can play your own songs, yeah. And make decent money. Yeah. Like yeah. not. And it's one of those where you play too many covers, they'll boot you. Oh, I really? Mean, okay. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's places, there's plenty of wineries and bars and what have you, but yeah. that's more of a cover band sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's more of a just like. The cover originals thing is always like a, it's interesting depending on where you're at. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And what their, what their take is on it and how they feel about it. Yeah. I came to Charleston, not, I, I played my own songs in Ohio before I moved here. Mm-hmm. Mostly my own songs. I didn't know a whole lot of covers. I just knew some Tom Waits songs basically. Yeah. And I got here and I discovered quickly that's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I still, I, I still don't have the iPad. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I still don't play a song I don't like. Yeah. Which actually it helps if you don't have an iPad. Yeah. Well, because, it also helps if you don't play a song you don't like. Um, that's a problem. Yeah. Like, and, and I, I, I straight up would um call anyone out on doing that. If you're, if you're getting up there, I mean that that's let's let's just face it, like that's being a whore. Like like, and, and I mean like you you're whoring yourself if that's how you do things. If you're playing something you do not like. You don't have some connection to it in right. your soul. Yeah. Like, what's the point of that? Like, that's like d- d- negating your own existence. And I get it, but damn. I, I mean, I'm we we also have the benefit of having day jobs. Oh, of course. Right. So I can't. I I can be I can be judgmental in my own brain, but at the same <laughs> time, you know, you we know. can we can do that. But and then we can also say too, right? Like, um, we have day jobs, but 
do we do it so we can have the freedom in our art? Like, I, I say all this, but I have a cover band. <laughs> I don't know. I have I a cover band, but we we kind of like draw draw the line. Like, on we're not doing a hundred percent. You know, we right. throw in originals, yeah. but I, I do think that even those guys out there that are playing covers, like, come on, like, play things that are, are connect. You have a connection to. Well, I said earlier, it helps to not have an iPad. Yeah. It's because when somebody comes up and say, do you know such and such? <laughs> I can't pull it up. I always just say, hey, have you seen those guys that they have the iPads and yeah. they can just look stuff up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't have the iPad. I only play what's in my brain. This yeah. is what my brain knows. Yeah. So that's that's kind of my... I don't flat out tell people I hate that song and I don't want to play it. Yeah, of course not. No, so, I, I'm, I'm always we're we're in a we're I'm calling this a space where I'm being a little more frank because I'm I, I mean oh, whenever I'm I'm sure. out there performing for people, um, I'm very courteous. I, I'm not about um I, in the I have total respect for the audience and people that um may not understand that like yeah a lot of times people are very polite. Um, sure. And the the thing though, I'm, I'm getting, I'm starting to get tired of hearing it. Is do you take requests? Um, because even though it is a polite thing, it also insinuates that like uh, I don't like what you're doing. <laughs> you should do this instead. Exactly. So well, it's like, but at, at least I appreciate them asking, so I could say no, like because I don't technically. My my usual response is if I know it, and That's I only know songs too. I like. Yeah. And but also, I I wish. I wish, and a lot of time people are open-minded enough to say, tell me what it is you like, yeah, and I'll play you something that maybe you haven't heard, but you might like better. Um, we do that quite a bit, yeah, um, and, and that works for us um, in most spaces. Sure. Because, like, uh, you know, if someone says uh, they want to hear, I'm trying to think, you know, Chris Stapleton, I'm like, well, yeah, I don't Tennessee know this, but I can, all, yeah. yeah, oh God, Tennessee Whiskey. It's like, a great song, great song, great, great <laughs> artist too, but um you know, hey, I just don't like Chris. I just don't like him. Yeah, I just it just Ooh, doesn't do anything for oh. me. Maybe. Hey, you know what? Is what is this, it? Am I a little bit jealous here that maybe he's out there doing that thing? Because I also look at Tennessee whiskey like a song. Like, does it does it feel like going back to what you were saying? This this manufactured sound. I would never try to write something like that. Is yeah. what I'm saying. Uh -huh. Now, is it a very good version of that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll concede that point. You know what my problem with it is? Yeah, the, just the fact that it mentions whiskey. It's like it's a, it's a buzzword. <laughs> it's a buzzword, man. It's a folk music buzzword. Whippoorwills, really whiskey, bad, right? Jumping now. on trains, going down to the railroad track. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty... you didn't do any of that. Come on, man. <laughs> but that's kind of folk, and it's at its heart, right? Like it's uh, like it we is. don't do any of that. You just kind of like recycle something, right? And like, it's make and, it yours. Yeah, and that's why, like. I always call it the goalie. When I sit down to write a song and I find like maybe I do that, yeah, it doesn't get past the goalie. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. But my goalie is, he's such a good goalie that I don't write songs. That's yeah. <laughs> You know what? Yeah, that's a, that can be a problem, right? You yeah, too self hundred percent, um, yeah. You know, I, you know it's, it's funny though. For me, when I write, there's a certain type of writing and especially what I write for the acoustic, uh -huh. I'm very much a like I, I i'm a pop writer like i want i want to be dude if 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 one of my songs can blow up like that oh man i would i would yeah. totally yeah i would go for the ride because because you know what well you may Cause, as well because fuck having that day job yeah, yeah for sure no, I, I, <laughs> you know if you were to get signed to a major yeah right, we like, could say we could say whatever you know what Chris Stapleton, I can say I don't like him, but you know he's living it. Yeah, he's, he's living that. He has that some houses and he's and driving he's, that Tennessee whiskey car, and he's around. also not playing um, a bunch of other people's songs. That is for damn sure. You know, and although and, I have to tell you, I saw, and 
I saw Zach Brown on accident because yeah. he opened for the Stones two weeks ago. Okay. Number one, Zach Brown's another guy I don't like because yeah. I have a beard uh-huh. and it's a long beard. So automatically, <laughs> so automatically people say, do you like Zach or do you play Zach Brown? I say, I own yeah. a mirror, but no, I don't play Zach Brown. So Zach yeah. Brown opened for the Rolling Stones. Dude played mostly covers. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, it's very odd, huh? It was, and it was covers that was just like, seriously, hmm. dude. That's really strange. Like, like we were in Georgia yeah. and they played Devil Went Down to Georgia. Okay, I, I get it. <laughs> I saw the Roots play here yeah. at uh, Riverfront Park and they played like over half covers, which that was kind of crazy to me. But it, knowing, I know hip hop sure. well enough to know that like, you know, that's kind of like taking a song and putting your own spin on it. So very much 100%. that genre. But they like, I mean, it was really strange to me because it wasn't what I expected. Right, right. But, I mean, they, they're out there. Shit. They made a lot of money that night. I mean, Zach Brown made a lot of money and yeah. some of it was mine, oh, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. But let me tell you something, dude. Huh? He played Bohemian Rhapsody. Really? Really. No oh, shit. Really. That's like, weird. We, we were going to get more beer and, yeah. and we like, I'm like, is he done? Is this like the house music? So that's really, that's really odd to me. And she's like, no, I, my, my wife was like, no, I think he's playing Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> And, so this and, is happening on a global scale? And I was offended. Yeah. I like got offended. Yeah. We were in the beer line and like the person behind, because that to me, that's, that's a song you just don't touch. I wouldn't, I, the only, the only time I want to see it touch is when someone's like way too hammered to be doing it during karaoke. Oh, that'd be great. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. That's yes. the only time I yes. want it to happen. Not Zach Brown that I've paid but, money for. Yeah. That's crazy to me. And I, re- I, I really think, um, Queen's one of those things like Freddie Mercury has such an iconic, um, voice. Yeah. I, I, whenever people ask me if I could do, there's a couple artists that I won't touch because well it's like Jimi hendrix it's yeah. like you didn't learn because j- if you can't do it don't do it yeah it's not just that too it's just like um they they did something that was so much themselves yes that trying to imitate it is yes. um is very it could be in i feel like it's almost insulting there there are even like songs i consider to be sort of pedestal songs yeah like that song is on a pedestal yeah they did it that's the definitive version of it, and yeah. another one doesn't need done. Yeah, and, and also too, like you're there to open up for the Stones, and um, I, I would think you would <laughs> want to promote yourself and your own original material. It's, I guess I just I just remember like being in the beer line where I was going to pay like nine dollars for mm-hmm. a Miller High Life, or not even as good as well, that. Well, you, I it mean, you, like, you already already paid a lot to see the Stones. Sure, hundred <laughs> percent. I've looked at tickets before. <laughs> I just remember the person in line behind me was like. Is Zach Brown playing Bohemian Rhapsody? Yeah. I was like, yeah. And they were like, that's a statement. I yeah. said, it's an incorrect statement. <laughs> <laughs> so let me get let me get back on track here. Sure. Uh, moving to you moved to Charleston. I did. Started playing the open mics. Well, I, I got transferred here because tra- Charleston um was my final duty station. Yeah. because uh, I was a staff instructor at the nuclear prototype. Okay. Um and so uh I I was a lot of shit was going on around that time. The open mic, and we could tie it into the open mic, but sure. a lot of stuff was going on in my personal life. Um, you know, my daughter was born in 2007, so she was only about um, two years old. And so whenever we moved here, and then um, she was about five. So this this would have been 20. So 2012, I got out of the Navy, got a divorce. I'd gotten married just, you know, four or five years before. Okay. And, uh, and became a single father all in the year of, of, of that, all that year. Wow. I, I still... Though had and I'll, I'll be honest, like um, part of it was I think overcoming that fear of being in that space, um, it of playing those songs, uh-huh. uh, it gave me a confidence 
that I had lost in the Navy because in the Navy, um, there, there, although I had some really great mentors and people that encouraged me, uh-huh. I, I wouldn't even say I had a mentor because no one ever took me on and mentored me. Sure. Um, but I, I mean, although I had experience that toward the end of that, all I had was people that wanted to take a piece out of you. And, um, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I 100% appreciate the people that have the stones to go into the armed forces mm-hmm. and, and do something for their country. I also feel that maybe part part of what gets them by is taking the individual out of the person. Yeah. Because you have to work as a unit. No, yeah. and I get that. I totally get that. But there's a there's a thing where I mean, you can be an individual when you're off duty, mm-hmm. but you are what you are when you're on. And yeah. I, and I understand how that could change yeah. someone's mentality maybe a little that, bit. That was a big conflict too. Yeah, and I you know, that's that's an interesting insight because um I, I do feel like I'd lost a lot of myself. Yeah. I've become some and I really felt like at the end of that I I'd become someone that I kind of hated. You know, yeah. I really um and that was as a as a young punk, that's your ultimate fear, you know, like well, Also, people people go into the armed forces when generally mm-hmm. when they are 18 to 22 years old and i don't think you're not a kid anymore yet i think you're still a kid at that point. oh absolutely you're very impressionable i don't even feel like anybody really learns who they are as a person until they're well into their 30s yeah your 20s is a decade to try and fail at all the things yeah and if you can make it out of 20s out of your 20s without too much debt too bad of a police (laughs) record or unfortunately children that you weren't planning on yeah <laughs> you you have a, i mean uh, you don't have to accomplish anything in your 20s yeah except failing at everything well you know it, the navy was like that for me um my, my my track record in the navy was like just a series of i, I remember all the mistakes more than anything else yeah. like i could tell you i, I mean i got they've gotten <laughs> there's there's things that they teach at the nuclear power school and that shit that i did <laughs> yeah. oh, i'll tell you what man you you learned from it and you still have all your fingers yeah and you still have both arms i did and i, I and, come out of it with a you know I, with a pretty there's a there's some lingering effect after effects of my sure. time in my service um but not nearly someone that you know came out with like true sense of ptsd or right. um if i did end up with some mental issues it's never been diagnosed but um you know, it, it's it's definitely something that you'll you'll carry with you for the rest of your life. But so, um, thinking about uh, so I got out of the navy. I was doing the open mics, and it was uh-huh. it was the navy that real or it was the open mic that really got gave me the confidence to do that to also take control of my own life. Um, yeah. because things at home were not were not peachy keen. They were they were pretty bad. Um, and uh, I became a single father toward the end of that year. Got out of the got out of the navy right after that. A couple months later. Um, and I was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do with myself. But, and I had this house I was paying rent on, uh, I didn't have a job lined up. Um, and then I landed the job as a maintenance tech with, uh, CBRE. And, okay. um, I was like, okay, well, it gave me a start you know, it was a fresh start. And, uh, and I used, um, my training as a machinist mate to kind of like work my way into commercial real estate. And, but so with the music, um, I kept going the whole time I was a single dad. Like I had a really awesome babysitter and uh, I could leave my daughter there overnight. She was Uh right around the corner from where we lived and uh, basically like a grandmother in a lot of ways. And uh, I I would just, uh, I I would still go. I'd still go do the open mic. Nice. At what point did, uh, at what point did the side hustle start up? The side hustle started um, after I had become, 
so I've become a, uh, let's see, the right way to say, tell this is I'd married my wife. Um, I had, uh, you know, we, we had been together for about a year. Um, and then I ended up getting, uh, promoted to, or I t- switched jobs within CBRE. That is a huge corporate company, right? Uh-huh. But I switched jobs to becoming an AFM, which is assistant facilities manager. Um, and, uh, I was at, um, working for Booz Allen Hamilton, which is a, they're like, a it's called the Charleston digital hub now. Okay. It was formerly known as spark, which so it's all these tech geeks. Sure. Um, and I'd start gigging, you know, with the encouragement of my, um, she's, you know, she was my girlfriend at the time, but now my wife, mm-hmm. she was, she's also an artist of different sorts, um, mostly acting and, um, dancing and, uh, and uh, she's done a little podcasting too. Okay, <laughs> um, all right. But uh, she she encouraged me to get out and play, and I started doing solo gigs on my own. And the right. side hustle um, became like I, I knew I had done the open mics, and I seen Bob, my Bob Williams, my drummer. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he, I'd seen him play out. I think at some of those, and uh, we just I we ended up hooking up and talking music. Yeah, you know, we talked shop, and uh, we decided to start a band. So awesome. We started off as a duo. Uh-huh. Um, it was just an acoustic guitar and drums. Uh-huh. It was really weird. And, um, <laughs> and, and yeah, and, and, and there was like, I was still learning a lot on the fly because, um, you know, we, we, we definitely, but the first gig that we played was for like a little benefit tour. Um, they do like a thing for uh, kids um, that are, I forget exactly what their, the issue that they have is, yeah. um, but they, they need some kind of financial help and it's, it's in Somerville. And okay. we, so Bob showed up one day. We'd never practiced anything. He has a, <laughs> he has a cajon or not a cajon. He had a, um, djembe. I had the acoustic guitar and we jammed, you know, and right off the bat, there was a connection. Like we, Bob's a very tasteful player. Um, yeah, he's, that's a rarity. <laughs> and he's, it is, it is. Yeah. Um, and he's one of those guys. He just, he gets behind the kit. He listens to you and then he just kind of fills in the spaces and, and nice. does it just and so uh we went from there we ended up bringing in so the guy that i mentioned earlier who runs the open mic martin butcher um, uh-huh. on bass okay um and so this was four years ago um and so then we started gigging together you know as a um acoustic kind of trio right on eventually we bring in other uh cats like uh so bob and drew had done some stuff together and drew drew washington he's a bass player and we uh-huh. brought him in um and we, then we end up a four piece um, okay. <laughs> and uh sound keeps getting bigger uh then we bring in uh, i was like and at that point it was just like grow 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 sure. and um and then uh jeremiah king uh oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've heard him uh yeah. fantastic keyboard. i've never actually met him he's one where i've i've you know seen him on the social medias and heard him through that but yeah never met jeremiah it was um through my open mic that i was running same one that you you had come and play at um he had come and played right on and he wasn't even doing shit like he was a musician student like at college uh uh, charleston southern university Uh for jazz and he would come in and play and i'd just be blown away every time (laughs) like i can't fucking do any of this like he's one of those you know and i think you actually have like a, a little bit of training in your background you know and like I feel like guys that you understand music at a level that I, I I don't really understand it, you know, like, um, it doesn't matter. I know it doesn't matter. It do- you know, it's but, good to fall back on, but at the same time, <sighs> rule followers never, you know, don't blaze a trail. That's that. But at the true. same time, there's a guy like, uh, do you know who David George Sink is? Yes. There's a guy like that. He's theory up and down one side and the other, mm-hmm. but also he'll play it tasty. 
Yeah, you know, well, that's, it's it's too easy to get lost in the sauce if you know a little hey, too much theory. That's that's one of the reasons. That's how I convince myself not to practice and learn anything all the time, man. And I just because I do, I, I and I do pick up the instrument as a creative outlet. Yeah. Um. And, and so a lot of the stuff just kind of happens. Um. And, yeah. and you know, like I think that's how if you listen to the side hustle, if you listen to my my stuff, it's you'll understand why. I think you can understand why it's kind of all over the place. Well, I'll tell you the the side hustle EP is yeah. the extent of my knowledge of the yeah. of the side hustle and that's all we've done okay um, at this point so we we got the ep out um at that point we just had drew um jeremiah hadn't even joined up uh-huh and uh and so then but though i'll say all this like so we got it all going um and i won't get too heavy into it right but um things happened um at one point and uh we weren't able to play a really big gig uh-huh. all together um and uh and I'll just be honest, like at that point in my life, um, I was still like kind of learning about how to, I don't know, just be a good band member. Yeah. yeah. I, I was the band at that point in time. I was really considered myself the band leader. And okay. and I don't fault myself for that in too many ways, because um, a lot of times the guys in the side hustle were all, hey, you know, like, what do you want to do? Or, hey, how do you think this should go? Or, hey. And I'm the one booking all the shows mostly sure, at the time. Sure. So I really was the the captain of the ship. And so whenever this happened, I, I really, really went off the rails. Um, okay. I had just gotten a tooth pulled. I was on a bunch of dope, you know, for that. Uh-huh. Not not actual literal dope. Like on, I was on legal prescription drugs like sure. Vicodin. Yeah. But I, I was in a really bad mental state and, and I unloaded on, okay. on, on a fellow band member. And, and after that, it like kind of... It yeah. kind of fucked things up, sure. you know, and it changed that relationship. However, Benning, I was bending to another friend of mine, Roger Minewater. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And we ended up kind of connecting and we had already connected with the open mic and a few other places. And it kind of like ended up opening up the avenue for Blue Ricky. To That's happen. what brought. Yeah. I was. Yeah. So, so the, the, that EP. Yeah. Uh, who recorded it? How'd you record it? The EP was recorded with Cody McGuire. Okay. He's actually He's a super talented bluegrass player, and it's okay. another person that I met at Spark, which is now called the Charleston Digital Hub Blues Allen Hamilton's thing. Okay. You know, I met him there as well. Um, right on. And uh, he recorded. It was all a home recording. Um, he he did some of the recording. Bob did some in his house. Okay. Um, Drew did some in his home as well. So they all could just kind of do their. Oh, Drew actually went to Cody's place. Okay. Cody really. He just had two new kids, so he's real busy with that and hasn't right really on. been active. But he played with us. But yeah, he did all the recording. I mentioned rockabilly earlier. Yeah. Because that EP, I actually do get a bit of a rockabilly oh, vibe. Oh, yeah. Not, it, the two songs that I don't get it off of are, are Do My Thing and Charleston Bro. But yeah. the other ones, I totally get a rockabilly. I yeah. mean, the bass even walks on a couple yep. songs, the drums and the vibe. It's, it's, and I feel, I feel the punk in it too. Yeah. It's not as much Stray Cats as it is Reverend Horton Heat knocking yeah. on the door of, but. I I, feel, I just felt that vibe. No, it definitely it. is. And I was heavy and I, I was really listening to a lot of that, you know, and, and the rockabilly thing. I was listening to a lot of like Little Richard okay. and a lot of R and what would be considered R&B back then, you know, but now right. like, but them and then, you know, there was kind of a revival of that going on, I feel like at that time too. Okay. Um, and I was connecting with that, you know, like uh, what um, Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. Yeah, you know, they yeah. were kind of doing the thing that it was like it was old rock and roll. Kind of the throwback. Yeah, yeah it was very yeah. nostalgic. And, and yeah. so, yeah, you'll and um, and I was kind of like just dabbling in it. Uh, J.D. McPherson okay. was another yep. rockabilly dude that I was definitely uh, listening to at the time. So there was an influence there. 
um the punk really wasn't like at the time i wasn't really listening to it and i think it really but came, it's in there it's, it's in your oh, veins yeah. like yeah. it's like you can't get rid of that at no this point. i know you were like aiming for an americana thing yeah but i mean you it's still in there yeah you know well, what yeah. I'm saying? if you listen look at the strong structure the song structure yeah and then the yeah the attitude now, i think were you writing as a group or were you just were you i wrote writing? everything okay on that ep right um and and that's actually something that uh you know we we we're moving away from now that we've reformed so covid we took some big hits and uh-huh. we, did, we weren't able to practice um for we weren't able to i thought that we were kind of over on honestly um okay. well you know for drew had for some reasons he had to kind of take us take a step back um but it was so it was just recently um just in the last couple of, yeah i uh, saw you guys were gonna just the last months um and so yeah we've got that uh that was our first show last friday it was our first show back together as a trio awesome and it felt great very nice um it was a different approach um because we had always a focus on the acoustic yeah so the side house is kind of like a brainchild of like a solo player. Kind sure. of like, let's make this, let's make a band from yeah. these songs um, at that point. Yeah. Um, but I think going forward, uh, we, we're going to be a lot more collaborative in, right the, in, the, in the writing space. Um, and just because I'm, I, I, I'm more of a, that's more of the mindset that I'd like to have. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That, uh, that side hustle EP. Yeah. What's your favorite? Do you have a favorite song off of that? Um, you, you know, honestly, I think it is Charleston Bro. <laughs> okay, right just, on. I, I, just because it's uh, to me like Charleston Bro is like it, it's one of those ones that I could play it anywhere in the area and like I oh, yeah. know I'm gonna get a reaction. It actually, it actually reminded me a lot of uh, when you did. There's some song you did about white girls. Oh yeah, too many white girls. Oh, dude, that's, that's a great. Uh, oh, that's like you. that's <laughs> like the the B side to Charles. It that's, is. Yeah, that's the. I, I wrote it with, uh, <laughs> with every intention, like as this is the sister song to the brother song. Nice. Yeah, and nice. I, I wanted to make sure that the ladies got their their piece of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So that uh that EP, what if you could yeah. give it a letter grade? Oh, it's like a C. Okay. Yeah, you're. I, I'm brutally honest about my own stuff. I'm so brutal with my own stuff. Yeah, I would be a C minus actually. Like, <laughs> here we go. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it. Well, the production. Um, and this is not against Cody. It's just not what I, I envisioned at the time. Um, sure. Or heard in my ear. Um, and it's not. And it's not anything his fault. Is that like I couldn't communicate any of that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't even know. And also, too, I think we we're all over the place, um, sound-wise. We didn't okay. really have like a defined, a well-defined sound. Okay. Yeah, because you're still figuring it out as you're we, doing it. We yeah. were. Um, but it, yeah, it's definitely it, it's a C minus. Now it's average. Blue Ricky. Yeah. <laughs> to, so so Roger and who's the bass player? Scott Bronner. Okay, I actually haven't met Roger. Okay, that's he, I know he's going around doing the well, things, but I haven't met him. He's not out a lot. He's he's actually a single dad, um, okay. and so that's uh, kind of the thing that keeps him. Uh, you know, he's not as active as he probably would be if he wasn't. Okay, because um, and so he's because he, he has a lot of um, he has to do a lot of childcare, and um, so he doesn't have the time and space open for performing as much. So that's probably sure. why you haven't run into each other, or you right. haven't had an opportunity to see him. Well, there's a thing with musicians, man, that mm-hmm. we're all playing shows. Yeah. So every night I'm playing a show is a night I'm not seeing another musician. Yeah. In a in a weekend night I have off. You just want to chill. A, it's a date night a lot. Because most of the time it's like. It's good. My wife has That's to come good. to my shows and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. so it, it, that becomes a thing. You just yeah. get used to not seeing people. We, we do. We, it, that is a thing. And, um, I would say, but Rogers, you know, he's, he's very, if you look him up, he's prolific as hell. Like, oh, I see that. And I, crazy. yeah. And he's incredibly talented. <laughs> yeah. And it's, 
is is it something where was Blue Ricky intended to be a punk band off the rip, or oh, was yes. it a thing where it's okay? It's yes. like let's have a what's fun because yeah, what I get from Blue Ricky is just fun. <laughs> yeah, like I get that you're having fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. I, and you know, uh, yeah, right off the the just from the very get go. Yeah, like it was like this is the intention of let's we wanted it to be a punk band. Um, we knew we were in that genre at least, you know, sure. and yeah. and. And we we started doing we originally just did like ten covers just to kind of get it together yeah and so we're covering like Op Ivy Rancid Misfits like some pr pretty basic stuff you know yeah. like um not too big on deep dives but we knew that that's where we wanted to go and then fun was like a big thing and I and I th and I think it's it's becoming you know like we haven't put it out yet but things are becoming more personal you know with our okay. writing um yeah the ep uh of blue rookie is just yeah it's just straight up fun and having a good time <laughs> and it's noisy and ruckus and we did that with return at return to zero with todd brown who runs sound at tin roof um, yeah i was gonna ask about uh i saw you know the there was that live at return to zero yeah. as well was oh, that yeah. like a that what was, is Return to Zero? What is it? Return to Zero is a um, down in, uh, I guess it'd be considered James Island, Folly Beach. Okay. And he's got a um, studio. He records right people. On. He's recorded a ton of bands locally. Um, he also has a couple of his own punk bands. You know, he's got, he's in nice. um, Todd's and yeah, but it's Todd's place. It's a huge warehouse. Okay. It's super cool. Um, awesome. And we, we did some, um, sh we've done shows there. So that, that, sh that's actually a live show. And, and um, yeah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It no, is there a Charleston punk scene? Yes. Is there? Yeah. Now I this is a thing I don't know yeah. because, you know, I generally don't go out. Yeah. But yeah, it's a thing. There's there's at least um I would say there's at least 10 active bands. Nice. Maybe there's probably more that because uh, I think there's a lot of people that don't necessarily get to get out and play often. So if there's 10 punk bands, my math means there's probably four bass players. <laughs> yeah. No, is it one thing? <laughs> that is a yeah. thing. There's a dude, Brendan Sheely is uh -huh. Is in every damn punk band that's not in ours. 100%. Nobody wants to play bass. So yeah. if you're a bass player and you play punk, you're probably in six bands. There's one. Scott is is very much a bass player. Okay. Yeah, Scott is definitely. And, and thank God for that. Yeah, he's not just a guitar player that lost the coin toss. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I've like been he, that guitar player. Yeah, I knew he was a bass player. And like I, I came. It was cool being able to approach him as knowing that like he plays bass and not being yeah. ha having to talk down. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a yeah, guitar yeah. player. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, like, yeah, you know, right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. That's oh man. I don't understand the mindset of somebody that chooses bass and then like Oh, I loved it. No I no, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> but no, it's limited if you want to write. Whenever I picked up bass at 14, 15, it was because I was like, I love the sound of it. It's just such a you know, it's the big sound in the band that no one hears. You know, it's I mean most... I I was just I found a band that there was like a, there was like a couple guys. We weren't a band, but it was like a couple guys that played guitar, and they were just like, "Oh, you want to learn how to play guitar? Yeah, you got to buy a bass, play bass, and then maybe we'll <laughs> teach you how to play guitar." But I I have a lot of like respect for people that play bass and do it in that very special way, where it's mm -hmm. not just the root and fifth, like you're like you're a guitar yeah. player. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I know everybody's go to is like Ramones. That's always, I even like, I looked up, they wrote an article when you released your second record, your, your first kind of studio full length as Blue Ricky. And yeah. Like Ramones was in the first paragraph. Yeah. Is there, 
Is there something you feel more connected to than the Ramones? Oh, I would hope. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 for yeah, sure. Um, I, I'm, I am, I do feel a really deep connection to the Ramones. Um, but uh, yeah, let me nerd out for a second, I guess, and s- speak of some punk, ga- yeah, punk bands it. that people haven't heard and um, are may never listen to, and that would be the bands um, Screech and Weasel, uh-huh. um, the Queers, uh, who we're actually playing with. Um, yeah, to, to have, I, I can get into that a little more, um, but. Um, Swing and Utters was a huge band okay. for me. Um, they actually kind of did a whole cowpunk thing, which so that kind of they made it okay for me to start doing the acoustic thing and might yeah. be what you would hear like the country style punk. Sure, yeah, yeah they were a big band for me. Um, the Operation Ivy um, was, I think, a big band for a lot of people that kind of dug a little, just a little bit under the surface. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh huh. And who would be another one from that particular scene? Um, that would, I would say, I have a deep connection with. Um, I mean, oh, the Minutemen, Husker Du, and uh, God, I mean, that, that that's really my biggest, uh, probably, is all those those particular bands. So yeah. just rattling off a bunch. Sure, yeah. The one that, I have the, that I've had the deepest connection with for the longest would be um, uh, Screech and Weasel. I mean, I, I, I made a, I did a pilgrimage. Uh, okay. Like, I, I relocated my life for several months to wow. go make money, do construction, and then make it to Chicago to see them. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, Screech and Weasel and then Swing and Utters really stayed with me for a long time too. Um, just because, uh, I, I just like their approach to that genre. It was, they were also a band that you call, call, call them punk, but they were very much kind of like the clash where they were like, oh, I'm going to draw yeah. on a bunch of different genres and yeah. just throw an acoustic song in the middle of the album. They, yeah. they were very much like that. And I always liked that about the them. clash. I feel like, I feel some R and B in the clash. R&B and rockabilly yeah, and yeah, I mean everything. They yeah. were just about being a global kind sure. of mindset. Uh, yeah, they didn't like want to put themselves in a box of any type. They didn't. They didn't. And there's yeah. some there's something to be said for that and there's something to be said for like the Ramones and what they did. Oh yeah, it's um, it's so the Ramones are like I don't I think people look down on ACDC. Yeah. But to to just say we're this yeah, we're gonna do this. This is who we are. Oh, yeah, and we're not gonna try to do that. That's like beautiful too in its simplicity. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely, and it it leads to it can lead to a more gratifying experience for the musician too. I think. Sure. Because um, I feel like if you operate within certain confines and boundaries, you you have to you have to approach each song within those confines. Yeah. And so it it it, it can make it easier to express yourself. You can be paralyzed by unlimited decisions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, now, do you guys, does Blue Ricky write songs as a band? We we don't actually write as a band um, necessarily. I, I think, I feel like um, we write as individuals, but uh-huh. both myself and Roger contribute. Right. We, we keep trying to get Scott to add in a little bit. He's written a couple, but they just didn't stick. Okay. Um, but we do write, we, we, we usually come into a practice prepared with a song. Uh-huh. And some some minor changes might be made by the other members, but overall, like the structures, everything are written beforehand. Right on, mm-hmm. right on. Your uh, your I guess it would be your first full length recorded in a studio. Yeah, was really recorded in the rehearsal <laughs> space. It was really right. recorded in Roger's bedroom. It sounds great, man. Oh, I yeah? mean, did what do you think of recording yourself versus other people recording? Do you like that? Or like, um, do you, you intend know, to do that in the future? What's your what's your it was more out of necessity. Yeah. I, I think we had we had for us it was like 
we we couldn't really gig out. It yeah. was we were on lockdown. Yeah. Um, we were bare, We were even on fence about meeting up with each other at that point. Sure. And, um, and and it was like, well, we have all these songs and we need to record and uh, and why don't we just do it ourselves? Like it was sounds great. Yeah. Man. Thanks. Yeah. I I appreciate it. I mean, I I would change some things, but always. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the thing about like. If you're left to tinker with something forever, you'll never yeah. let go of it. And then when it gets pulled out of your hands and put out there, you always say, yeah, I mean, I'd record my entire album over again. Yeah, I just would. But. Well, I just I, my my I'm not happy with my own vocal performance on it. So was it's... that now I read a little <laughs> bit that you'd recorded a lot of it live and then did a few yeah. overdubs. Well, we just overdubbed the vocals. Okay. But yeah, it was recorded live in the bedroom. Wow. I, I we definitely actually we have plans to record in January. Oh. Um we, there's a there's another punk band out of Atlanta area called Billy Bats and the Made Men. Okay. And there's a young man uh oh my god, I'm dropping names and now I'm forgetting <laughs> them. Brody Wilson. Okay. He's one of the members of that band, but he's recorded with Joe Queer a few times oh, wow. in his studio uh -huh. um and used his stuff, but we're going to be recording with him. Give me some of your, uh, you got a favorite song off of Let's Go to the Show? Oh, Let's Go to the Show. That particular, um, I love White Gables. Okay. Just because both, it, out of a uh, really crazy coincidence, um, both myself and Roger have lived in that neighborhood. Okay. We're literally living like, uh, you know, a less than a mile apart at one point, you know, probably. Right um, and I, I just think it's it's just a funny song, you know, like, <laughs> and it kind of tells a story. Right on. Um, and, and, uh, and I just like, I don't know, it's confrontational too. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. um, give that one a grade. Yeah. Uh, that, that, the EP, the EP. Yeah. Um, I think it's like a B plus B plus. Yeah. Okay. I, I was happy with the, the, with it. I thought it was a good introduction to us. Right on. Yeah. And now live at return to zero. Uh, <laughs> what's your, what's your grade on that? C minus C minus. Yeah. Now, are there any, maybe of those, a D are there any of those songs that you think turned and, out well? Uh, I'd have to go back and listen to it. I, okay. I listened to it a decent amount, um, and I just... But um, I was still really um, working on my vocals. Okay. Um, and I was... I'm not... Once again, not happy with my vocal performance on that particular... Uh, that that thing. Uh, and I, 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 I... Like, so... the To explain that one, we went into that particular show, uh -huh. and I did not realize that we were going to be recording that day. <laughs> Like cool. I knew that we were going to be recording and projecting it to the, we were going to have like a live, like stream, a live stream, yeah. but I had no idea that we were going to commit that. And it was also another one of those things that was a product of, well, we can't really do anything this year. So why don't we just, uh, yeah. Scott was like, I can lift the tracks from Todd and then do something with sure, it. Sure. Yeah. And so, um, I, I think it's cool though, that it kind of marks a place in time where we were going from just these, like these little EP to like, Hey, look at all this different shit yeah, we that where we're going to end up yeah. going into. Yeah. And it was a lot of them. And uh, so it, I like it, you know, and I, I honestly haven't listened to it. I, I beat into the, I, I beat the, I beat my recordings to death, picking myself apart. And then I come back to it and maybe I'll listen to that one again in some yeah, year I find where like, I can't listen to things I've done. I'm learning that. And then I'll like accidentally hear it later. Yeah. I'll be like, okay, that's not as bad as it was worse in my memory. And yeah. now that I'm hearing it, it's not that bad. Well, I've know? used the recent recordings to really analyze um, yeah. my own sound and, and, and to use it as a, as a tool to study myself, to yeah. try to improve. And I, I've overdone it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've really overdone sure. it. I, I, it's bad. Now, aversion therapy. 
Aversion Therapy. Yeah. Give me, give me some good. What, what are your favorite tracks off of that one? I love N- Nintendo. Yeah, uh, that's a good one. <laughs> thank you. That's a good one. Uh, I love Nintendo because it, it really like I just think it's a great pop song, you know, and yeah. it's just it draws on like nostalgia. And yep. I think everything that I think people can connect with it. Yeah, Um. I really like uh I, for Ro- a Roger track. I have to pick a Roger track and give him props. Um, Absolutely. I really like Get Out of My Dreams. Yeah. Um. Just because it's very visceral. Yeah. Um, and it's very uh, raw, which I think that that's when it comes to Roger, that those, those are some of the best things that he does. Um, and then, uh, spaz is, okay. that's my entire, like, that's half of my punk rock experience is like getting there and not being able to get into the show, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. um, or getting put in the all ages portion of the yeah. venue. That's like a balcony above. Sure. I have sure. a whole thing about bad religion on that. <laughs> bad religion can go. Yeah. Now, what would you give that album as a grade? It's a C plus, so we're getting better, but okay. I, I feel like that we, we, um, you know, I, overall, I just think that it's, it, it's like, it was like, we bit off more than we could chew. Okay. And it's yeah. a lot of tracks. Sure. And I think that it's in the right direction and I'm glad, and I'm like, I also think that it was, it served a very good purpose of bringing us together in a tough time uh-huh. and giving us some uh, focus. But I feel like that we could do more with by working with other individuals um and then also let's let's call a few tracks like let's maybe you know so you know it's great to i think that people who talk about everything they've done like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread are you fucking kidding me? right like, you who, know who are those people i call it unearned self-confidence there's yeah. plenty of people in, and we run into it as musicians yeah i'm people sure i know a few people an abundance of unearned self-confidence but yeah. it's at least my opinion it's only through that like yeah lack of self-confidence that makes you grow yeah i i agree with that and they, but there's a, there's a fine line between that becoming destructive like negating yeah. force yep. and then uh, um being a positive reflection and 100%. then like you move on and you do the next thing and, and i and i think during the pandemic and, and and you know i'm saying i'm giving these like low grades on the things that occurred <laughs> then yeah but i i think it was because i had so much time on my hands and i I crawled up my own asshole. Wandered it. And it fucking stinks up there. Well, I mean, everybody felt pressured to do a thing. Yeah. But I mean, in the at the end, we're all humans, man. There are so many things yeah. going on during that pandemic. And just the weight of knowing you have time to do something can make you not do something. Yeah. Because in your head, there's this mountaintop of a thing you want to do. Yeah. And the pressure of... Yeah. Yeah. Not doing it yeah. is there as well. But, you, you know, I, I think we're finally, even in the last year, like the opportunities, you know, oh, are yeah. just, they're just starting to happen in the last six months. And now, like, I feel like next year, yeah, you know, is, uh, it's, things are about to open up, man. Awesome, man. Yeah, for us. Awesome. We have some road shows planned and very good. We have the big show coming up in February. So it's, it's nice, like nice. exciting for that band. You got a song you want to play for us today? Uh, yeah, I'm going to be playing a couple that, uh, you know, that, uh, are more in lines with my solo material. Okay. Um, and that would be, uh, well, the first one that I guess I'll do, um, is, uh, what did I just play earlier? <laughs> I'm fucking up your timeline. You can edit no, that out. No, it's fine. I will. Edit that out. Yep. Um, no, I'm going to play Prince of Poppers. Awesome, um, man. Yeah, let's hear kinda, it. Yeah. All right, let's do it.
Into the belly of the beast Watch them slaughter golden calves And when their lips for the feast Gather on to their chest The fruits of countless sufferings All the crown of plastic jewels We pledge allegiance to the king Prince of Hoppers, King of Thieves Bring the whole world to its knees He's got no claim or royalties You catch him lying through his teeth Sipping wine from paperbacks and boxes Bending all the rules He said they stole away my youth Go, count me among the fools I went out chasing my desires I ended hanging from a string I've got no fire left in me But I've got this voice and it sings Prince of Poppers, King of Thieves Bring the whole world to its knees He's got no claim to royalty You catch him lying through his teeth Castles are bad foundations Sinking back into history Knew a boy with a silver spoon in hand Is what he said to me You know I could have been a millionaire Fuck the girls with golden hair But that wasn't the life for me I just had to be free Very nice, man. All right. I like that. I like that a lot. All right. Thanks, man. So that's uh, that's more your solo stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's the solo stuff that probably could have been a Blue Ricky song, you know? Okay. Yeah. It's it's also like the solo stuff that's along the lines of like the more Irish vibe, you know? Yeah. 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 Any intention of recording the solo stuff? Yes. Actually, I already have. Um, nice. I, I worked with Joshua Jarman all last summer. Um, I went out to his little studio and his magic bus. And okay. Out there in Cottageville, and um, it's it, so we recorded it, and then I s- sent the tracks over to Roger and and Scott to add some drums and bass, and um, nice. And now we're waiting to uh, finish everything up. So it's been a long. So long that is way. a that's specifically a Ben Somewhere record. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's the Blue Ricky guys, it's a Ben Somewhere record. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They I just asked them to come in, and and it wasn't um at the time I wasn't working with Drew. Uh-huh. Um, and then also too, like um, I wanted to kind of give it. I wanted to have a different sound from something I would do with the side hustle. Okay. So that's yeah. why I brought in Roger on the drums to see, and I also kind of just wanted to see what Roger's interpretation sure. would be. Yeah. To something that isn't punk. Roger seems like one of those guys <laughs> that first you like see him singing and playing guitar, and you're like, oh, that's great. 
and it's great. And then you like see him playing drums. And you're like, oh, he can actually play drums. Yeah. Like, no, like you guys can't see this, but there's a drum set behind me. I own a drum set and yeah. I am not a drummer, <laughs> but Roger is also a drummer. Yeah. That's a, well, <sighs> when I first met him, he was in a band called Campfield. Uh huh. Um, and that was just him and a really close friend. Um, I think his name's also Eric Browner, something like that. Um, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting your name, man. Uh, but if in case you listen to this, uh, but yeah, they they would actually just swap between guitar and drums while wow. they were as a duo. They would just play as a duo and they would just swap in the middle of the set. And I was Those like, guys. you guys are fucking insane. Like, what are y'all doing? And uh, yeah, I can't play drums. Those lick, people, so. there are people in your life that make you want to simultaneously quit music. Yeah, and also do it more yeah but yeah roger's one of those guys yeah he's he's plays a few different instruments and can do it all like with nice with some you know skill you know like not yeah, yeah. tell me about your uh songwriting process now uh, do you the process no, and you i'm can, not no, gonna it's do cool a th- to dig into that i'm not gonna do a thing where we talk about like do what comes first the lyrics no. or the music I, I, mean, I mean in a way that i think that that is kind of like the a good way of talking about it though like, now do you do you sit down to write a song? Do you take? Usually, no. Yeah. Like it, 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 it's it brews and it percolates, and then I'm like, okay, now it's coming out. Like just and has I, and to I, hit you over the head, and I better, I better do it now. Okay. Um, but no, I, I do, I do sit down with intention to write a song, but like usually, what happens is I write, I write riffs. I, I'm a riff okay. guy. Yep. Um, I love writing riffs and and music parts and um yep. and so the way that i always wrote with the superheroes in my very first you know b- punk band was uh-huh. um he would have riffs and then i would have this you know notebook full of ideas yeah and then i would be like that riff sounds like this idea to me yeah and and i, I feel like i could discuss it here and so i'm gonna and then i would write lyrics from that like whatever okay. the riff was making me feel now do you um, demo this does it go on a phone or it's all you, on my phone all on your phone and thank god for the fucking iphone man <laughs> oh man it's so cool because i can i can do that where i can have these all these little scratch tracks and then a lot of times um what happens is uh i'll have that scratch track and i'll just drive around and i'll play it okay. through my iphone into my car speakers and just kind of like percolate with sing it. nothing to it until yeah. it turns it you ever go like this is a melody these are the yeah. syllables kind of get is, the melodies yeah. and the feel for it and then eventually what happens there is I, I i get the song and okay that's one way yeah it's not always that way sometimes right. i have a, a vocal melody and then the vocal melodies in my head and i'm have a feeling and i'm like okay well i'm gonna and then with that, I could do with the punk thing. That's what really is great about for me about punk is that I can have the vocal melody, I can have the little idea, and yeah. then I can actually just sit and write the song because it doesn't have to be complicated. Sure, yeah, the chords become obvious yeah. at some point, and I've started doing that more yeah. more frequently. And that's not my, but that's not my typical process. Okay. okay. Yeah. Now, at what point are you like? that's a blue ricky song or that's oh. a side hustle song or that's a solo song well that's actually pretty easy yeah. um because uh blue ricky songs are all written on the electric okay so you yep. know I, i'm jamming uh, usually um i'll practice the you know set whatever we got coming up for the show we got coming up uh-huh. and then once i'm done with the set or sometimes even in the mi- middle of the set i'll just start like i'll kind of ve- venture off you know off the fre- somewhere else on the fretboard or like it makes me feel a certain way and or like once I'm warmed up after the playing through the set, I'm uh-huh. like, oh, now I'm ready. And then, so the electric is is very much like how I write a Blue Ricky song. I'd already know it. Um, it's very rare. I, I don't even know if I could tell you. I don't think I've written 
any blue ricky song on an acoustic guitar really? yeah. yeah yeah so so it's a it's a it's an energy too yeah yeah it's an energy um it's approach and it's an, and it's yes. and it's an approach to certain way too like yeah. i know like i'm like this is blue ricky because that energy of that band um the solo stuff uh it's the solo side hustle stuff can go go they're kind of interchangeable uh-huh right like a lot of solo stuff i play in a solo gig um mm-hmm. I, I can go and i can play it with the side hustle sure and so those two bands they mesh that way yeah but those are all most. Those are mostly written on an on an acoustic. Now, is there any more? Is there any crossover? Any Blue Ricky songs or any songs that can play everything? There's only one. Only one, <laughs> and it's a cover. Okay. But um, with uh, it, it's it, it's um, it's a Pogue song. It's or that's where I heard it originally. It's uh-huh. a, but it's Jesse James. Okay. And I do that solo acoustic. Um, I do it. I've done it with the side hustle. Yeah. Um, and then Blue Ricky, we do it. Um, you know, at shows as well. Man, I like something that crosses. I like hearing yeah. a song done different ways, you know? Yeah, it's cool for me, too. It's cool to approach it in a different way. Sure. Yeah. Very nice, man. Are there, like, uh, do you have a lot of people, this is a sports thing, like, give me your Mount Rushmore of so-and-so. Do you have, like, and Mount Rushmore sort of a loaded thing, but do you have, sure. like, five, these are my songwriters? Oh, wow. Mm, that's. Can you think of any? Well, definitely um, can. I can right off the bat. Um, Shane McGowan uh-huh. from the Pogues. Um, lyrically, I, I, I just I absolutely adore his lyrics. I think that he was just a, a, a beautiful poet. Um, his, his songs touch a place in, in my heart that like even talking about it right now, I'm, I feel emotions spe- saying that because I don't think I've ever got had an opportunity to, to express it. Great. Um, the second person uh, would be um heh, i get to open for him but uh joe queer as a punk punk writer songwriter yeah um his songs uh the humor of what he wrote uh-huh. just, and and the willingness obviously their band name is the queers the just the the willingness to be provocative and like just piss yeah. people off and have yeah. fun uh just the spirit of of fun that's in the the songs that he wrote and also the just he was drawing off a lot of really cool um genres that were outside of punk um uh Darius Koski from the Swing and Utters. Okay. Just because um, as a musician, the dude can, he plays, he's a multi-instrumentalist and plays right everything on. and just writes these, uh, I, I think he drew from Shane McGowan. Um, and then um, I'm trying to think of some other ones. Um, you know, I, I, can I say a band? Because I just think. 100%. Did they write songs? Yeah, they wrote songs then together. Then they're songwriters. Mike Watt, Mike, Mike Watt and D Boone and the oh, Minutemen together. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like that they wrote uh, just beautiful um songs and just they were just unafraid to be themselves yeah. i think in their music um and, and i feel like that they were i just love the way that they approached the idea of punk through other genres yeah and then wow top five i'm not rating these guys i mean it doesn't have I don't to like be five that. if there's just if you're just saying <laughs> this guy and this guy it can be four it can be ten they're they're really important i think those those particular ones are really important to me and yeah. um and then dd ramon i just throw oh. him in there just because yeah. I, I feel like they uh, of of all the songwriters of in punk I, I just loved the songs that he wrote for the ramones it's iconic yeah it's iconic i mean and, and you you'll find like there's a lot that a lot of people find somebody with a ramon shirt and they say well name me ramon song i'm <laughs> i'm not like that man. yeah like you will find thirteen-year-old girls that could sing your Ramones songs. Yeah, 
that's something. That's not nothing. No, it, it's it's definitely because it's it's just universal. Yeah, it's it's, it's drawing on something that has a universal um, it's a universal experience, right? Like yeah, anybody can go to Rockaway Beach. <laughs> <laughs> Any you know anybody anybody might find themselves going down to the basement and be you know, and it's just yeah, they just translated things that were um, universal experience. It's yeah. it's a very easy way to get in too. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And it's a very easy, um, I feel like too, that's, that's why, um, with punk, you know, that they're, they're considered the, I mean, I don't know what you call them, the godfathers or the, I guess a pop kind of gets that, um, yeah. the godfather label, but you know, I, I, I consider them the creators. I, I, I've read enough about the history and I, I get the whole British take, but, um, they, I never they were, got into that. That was more. <laughs> That was more style than substance to me. Yeah. I never really got well, into that. I, oh, I did. I mean, because um, I, I, I won't, I won't, I don't want to knock the pistols, and I don't want to get into all that because um, I've read enough. But, uh, but I do respect like the. I love the British scene, though. I do like the British scene because um, I love the Clash and I love the. Oh, the cl- the Clash to me, the Clash and the Sex Pistols are two completely yeah. different things. Well, yeah, definitely. Like, they and don't then, even. And then another band uh, gets a name drop. Weird little bands yeah. is uh, the Buscocks. Oh yeah, and and I think yeah. that. They they were they were like kind of um, doing their own thing there too yeah. yeah okay any are there any records any albums where you like that's my album oh yeah if I if the needle drops it doesn't pick up until it's time to go to side B or it's done uh, mm. are there any records where you like whole thing or nothing that's um that's really tough because I I'm really you know what like streaming has really fucked me up it's ruined a lot of things man yeah. and and. I, I do it too. I make some mixtapes. I make some yeah. old mixtapes. They're playlists now. Yeah. But there's still some where it's all of it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, Jimi Hendrix already experienced. Yeah. I, I, I like to listen to that in its completion. Um, yeah. And then the the Pogues, Rum, Sodomy, and The Lash, that, okay. that album is yeah. is a, um is something that I like to listen to in its entirety. Um, and then uh, that's, that's really the biggest ones. Like... Uh, the minute, uh, you know, like the way you described it, the Minutemen, double nickels on a dime. Uh huh. I <laughs> even I know that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's funny, right? Like, yeah. Exactly, uh, oh yeah. That one, uh, I I can pick up and listen in, at any point, though. You know, and be yeah. happy. Yeah. With it. Like it's like one of those movies that if you're flipping through the channels and it's yeah. on TV, you're just gonna watch oh, the rest then, of it. <laughs> and then another one is Husker Du Zen Arcade. Okay. Yeah, yep. which Bob Mold's coming here next year, and I have I have tickets. Really? Yeah, and I'm fucking stoked about That's that. Awesome. He's one of those guys that I haven't got to see yet, and I'm, I, I you know, uh, too young to have seen Husker do, uh, but definitely right. stoked to see him. Awesome man. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for letting me pick your brain, but yeah. I'm not gonna let you leave without one more tune. What okay. you got for us? Yeah. Um. Well, this one is uh definitely the solo songwriter type thing. It's uh-huh. a very very stripped down kind of almost a country tune called uh the letter. Okay, very nice. Yeah. She said, I'm afraid to be alone. Come on, take my hand. Don't you let me go today. It's been so long since I felt this good inside. Don't you leave me here this way I will cook your breakfast in the morning before your eyes 
When you're feeling blue, bring a smile to your face Try to remember all the little things you like When you're falling down, I'll be your saving grace He said, our baby, got to go Got a thousand things to do And none of it will wait Every day I'm out there Driving down the road In another time and space Wish things were different, that's the way it's got to be But some of all my choices may be just my destiny Every time I think I've got it all there in my hands It all just slips away from me Turn the wheel around, put the pedal to the floor Didn't even now, just went rushing through the door Shouted out her name, the response was only silence And found her laid out on the floor, with a letter in her hand Awesome, man. Thanks. Hey, well, thank you so much for hanging out. Um, looking forward to the the songwriter showcase out at Freehouse on December 12th. Me too. Going to be you, Noah Grove, Mike Friend. I just really appreciate you being part of this. Yeah. This is my third podcast I've ever recorded, so thank <laughs> you for doing this. And man, everybody check out Ben Somewhere. Check out Blue Ricky. Check out The Side Hustle. I'm going to have links for everything in the show notes. And thanks for hanging out, man. Thank you. Well, that was a lot of fun. I feel like Ben and I probably could have talked for another hour or so about music. Maybe that'll come another day. But for now, thanks for listening to Songs of the Unsung. Thanks for liking us on social media, doing all the good clicks, follows and shares and such. Got one week to go until the first original songwriter showcase at Freehouse. Really hope to see a lot of folks there. So until then, check out all the artists that have been on the last three weeks. Check out their music, their videos, all their stuff. We'll see you at Freehouse.